getting you through your workday one hour at a time. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Welcome to your Monday afternoon, 29th of May. What a weekend of sport it was. Um, The Warriors, while they didn't get the win, uh, provided a whole lot of theatre. The crowd provided um, a tarnished bit to that theatre. I hope they sort of woke up the next day and just said, God, I was a pork chop. I hadn't seen who actually had done the pitch invading until the um, Matty John show last night had found some um, cell phone videos that people taken from the crowd. I saw a middle-aged woman, slightly older than middle-aged man, jump the fence and try and get... What are you thinking? I was just thinking it was going to be kids. Anyway, I don't want to dwell on that because it took away from a great weekend of sport. Uh, we saw the Northern Stars, who qualified third on the Premiership table, win the elimination final. And, gosh, it's going to be a good match this Sunday, which we'll have live commentary of, the Mystics against the Stars. Uh, some good footy, some good super rugby as well across the weekend. And a couple of concerning issues with one of the Queensland Reds breaking his neck, in, um, which sound, it's fractured, uh, but fractured is broken, isn't it? And um, all the best to him. And they've lost a couple of other players. I think Tate, Tate McDermott got um, concussed, but he hasn't got any symptoms, so he might be okay. But they lost another player for the season with a dislocated shoulder. And the very sad sign, uh, one of the Canberra Raiders... Um, having a seizure on field. He, he's bounced back, but they still don't know what it was. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, just some breaking news has just come to me right now. Billy Proctor has recommitted to the Hurricanes to the end of the 2025 season, which will be his seventh season with the Hurricanes. So on the back of the news that Will Jordan's recommitted in New Zealand rugby, I think it's great that Billy Proctor has as well. He's a he's going to be a real mover next year, I think. Um, <clears throat> maybe not all black material this year. He probably is, but... Too much competition. Um, Fantastic signing for the Hurricanes. Right, we talked about it last week. We're going to do it this week. Later in the show, Steve Gordon, former All Black and Chief Slop, talking through the weekend Super Rugby. Really want to pick his brain about Luke Jacobson, who was phenomenal in the weekend. Uh, Bob McMurray, motorsport writer and commentator, talking through both the Indy 500 and the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, Jimmy Smith across the ditch as well. And we've got a Boston Celtics reporter, writer, Oh, looking forward to talking to him because they have come from 3-0 down and they're 3-0 with Miami. Uh, that's still to come though. But now we're putting together, I mentioned it uh, Thursday or Friday last week, I, I floated the idea, um, almost unanimously said, you guys out there said, let's do it. Hall of Fame, Immortals, whatever you want to call them, we're going to do a Super Rugby team each day. And we're just going to go north to south. Um so we go Blues, Chiefs, Hurricanes, Crusaders, and we'll wind up with the Highlanders on Friday. Um, and it's just purely on votes again, so you people will have the say. Um, 
That's, of course, on the back of the Crusaders naming Wayne Smith, Todd Blackadder and Justin Marshall as their three. We're just going to say players, okay? Just players. Um, So no Graham Henry, even though he was masterful in the late 90s. So have a really, really good think. How many did we decide we were going to finish up? Five. So we'll get five players from each franchise from 1996 right through to now. Iconic Hall of Famers, Immortals, however you want to call them. Um, You can text through your votes. I will keep a count uh, on the text and really want to hear, hear your calls, ring up. And if you say it's, you know, for the Blues, pick a player. I don't know. I'm not going to say any because I don't want to take from you, but and your memories of them and why they should make it. And then you're almost selling. You're, you get one vote, but you're selling it to the rest of the listening audience. Go, yeah, I'm with that. And they can text it in too on double eight, double three, which is, of course, the temper and bed post text machine. So that's our Monday madness. We'll call it today our Monday madness. We're looking for the top five immortal blues of all time. Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Yeah! So really keen to hear from people outside uh, Blue's territory as well with your take. Now, you're all going to have your day in the sun with your teams and, and your Hall of Famers. So keen to hear of non-Blues fans, supporters, but your rugby supporters and fans first and foremost, and you can appreciate good players through all of the franchises, through all of history. So keen to hear from all of you. We go to the phones, and the first one's from Crusader Country, and it's Mikey. G'day, Mikey. Yeah, couldn't be more non-Blues. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> <That's for sure. laughs> hey, um, just just before I do that, um, Smithy played a bit of your... Um uh, uh, netball oh, uh, thing at the end of the game. Is your co-host still breathing? <laughs> no, she was like, <laughs> she was absolutely beside herself. It was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. Um, yeah, Blues. Well, I've got memories of seeing these guys down in uh, Crusader land, Zinzan Brook and Sean Fitzpatrick. Mm. I don't think you can have a Blues team without those guys. I mean, they dominated rugby. Uh, for Auckland, let alone when the um, Super Rugby came along. So for me, those two for mine. Um, the thing about those, before alarming. you carry on, the thing about those two guys, and we had this discussion mm. before with Sammy, Sean Fitzpatrick played two seasons for the Blues, as did Zinzan Brook, just 25 games. Um, like Sean Fitzpatrick, 127 games for Auckland, one of the best all-black captains of all time. So I'm, I'm happy to take his vote, and I'm not saying he shouldn't be there, because they did win the first two as well, and laid a platform well, for the Blues and, to build and on. And not only won the first two, were completely dominant, and it kind of set up what Super Rugby, this is the this is, this is the level you have to get to. Yeah. So I don't mind guys who come in at the start, don't play as, as many as a couple yep. of centurions and that, yep. because they set the markers, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, Kevin Minilamu, on the other hand, I think he would. He was probably a centurion for the Blues. Yes, he was. Yep. Um, and, man, just every week, day in, day out, probably on a losing side. The Blues probably weren't at their best um, when he was the captain there, um, but such a warrior. Um uh, after this weekend, I'm going to say John Afoa. <laughs> <laughs> what a legend. Do you know he had over 100 games for the Blues and he's been gone for exactly. eons? Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Good to Absolutely see him back. Brilliant. Mm. Um, 
And the last one, even though I get heartburn, even just thinking about it, acid reflux, you can't leave that bloody toffee pops, Carlos, can you? I already Got put a it. In there. I already put a tick next yeah. time. I knew where you were going with that. <laughs> That's good. Well, look, at the end of the day, you can't keep the man down. No, you, you can't. Keep him down, could you? That's right. funny. I've written yep. ten names down here with no ticks next to them. Now there's ticks next to Fitzy, Carlos, Kevy, and Zinzan. Um, I'll be interested to see if any anyone goes outside the ten I've written down. But uh, we'll carry on, Mikey. Good start. All right. Good on you, mate. Cheers, Thank mate. You. Wednesday's your day. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday's Crusaders Day. Zaid, life member, Auckland. Welcome in. Good, after- <clears throat> Good afternoon. Um, we have to chuck him in. I know he hasn't been around too long, but what a mortal he already is. Mark Talia, just chuck no, him in. No, Zaid. Zaid, what are you doing? Four tries. Dude, what are you four doing? Four tries, it's, mate. It's four tries in an hour and a half. What are we talking about? 20-something years of Blues rugby and you've given me a four-try scorer from the weekend? Mate, he's, he's already scored like 30 tries where he's he's just pinning, pinning, the, pinning, pinning players away, mate. Did you, did you not see him run through those three canes and they just just standing there and he palmed off old Tyrell Lomax. What a game. Oh, look, I, I, I'm a massive fan of Mark Tillier, but you cannot put him in this ahead of people, other wings like Dougie Howlett, for example. You, you can't. Well, we, I'm sure we can. I'm sure there's room for Doug Howler and um, Mark Talia. I'm sure there is. I'm Look, sure I tell is. you what, I'll write him down for you. I'll put a tick next to him for you because this is a democratic society, Zaid. So you've gone out I'm sure on a Ken will put, put a vote in as well. Eh? I'm sure Ken will chuck a vote in for Talia as well. I don't know if he will. He'll go Dalton, Rico, and Zan Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> you can, I reckon. I reckon Rico is a conversation though. He scored fifty tries now for the Blues. Yeah, he's been there for a, since he was what seventeen. He's now twenty four, twenty five. Yes, yeah, so I could. I could probably go more for him. I still he wouldn't make my top five, but I could still go for him um, instead of Mark Tillier. And, and again, Mark Tillier, wonderful player, but he's still got history to write. But but do you know who my favourite ever Blues player is? Tell me. You won't know it, Kivi Mialamu. Well, now you're talking. Now you're yeah, talking. Yeah, Kimi Mialamu. Um, bit of Charlie Farmawina, that now, big boy. Now you're talking, Ali Zaid. Williams, Tony Woodcock. There you go. Look at your fly now. You should have started yeah. with this. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's the old um, <laughs> harder hard days for the Blues, but they're still veterans, eh? Yeah, they are. Oh Well, give yourself an uppercut for Talia, but give yourself a pat on the back for the old stages. <laughs> Yeah, I love Kevin Mialami way. He was a great player. He sure um, was. Probably Blues, Blues best ever hooker. Um, I know he's not really immortal, but um, I'm a big fan of um, his actually work. He does now on TV and a bit of podcast, and he wasn't a bad player. James Parsons as well. He loves the Blues. He's he all loves, about them. He loves the Blues. I'm not going to write it down. I love down. His, him and um, Brent Hall's banter. But, yeah, um, great win for the Blues before I go. Yeah, here's Mark Delia. What a game. Bryce Heem was... Um, Probably the best of a game he's had in a Blues jersey. Even Plummer looked pretty good with that 50-22 he chucked down. And, um, yeah, can't wait to go hammer the Highlanders, sorry, on Friday night and lock up that third spot and play the Waratahs in the quarters. So, yeah, You've... I'm pretty confident from uh, Saturday night. Sorry, uh, staff, that the Blues got the win over the uh, boys from Wellington. So, uh, yeah, hey, mate, it's, the it's, show. it's just a round-robin game, mate. Yeah, we'll see you in the playoffs, mate. Come on. <laughs> good on All you, right, Zane. Then. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Oh, good man. Kevin Mialamu, what a champion he was. Careful. 
Milano's got it. He goes for the line. It's a try. Kevin Milano scores against his old team. Trying to drive it to the line. Milano. Oh, I just absolute, just loved Kevi Mialamu. And he was number one for so long. And was, there's a changeover. He, he ended up number two behind Colsey, didn't he? Dane Coles and then Mialamu retired. And then Cody became number two to Kane, Dane Coles. And then he became number one, Dane Coles. Like, it's an area of high caps, isn't it, hooker? Once, once you've made the All Blacks into the hooker, they seem to hold their spots. Um, and I think... Once Cody Taylor and Dane Coles hang up the boots, not asking them to, but once they do, I think uh, Samasoni Tokiahu, he's got 100 test all black written all over him as well. So one, two, three, four, five, six have been mentioned via phone call. We've got uh, about eight text messages through so far on double eight, double three. I'm looking for Ken. Here we go, Ken. Here's Ken's one for you, Zaid, in New Zealand. And he's probably the most qualified, I'd have to be honest. He's probably the most qualified. He's gone. Carlos Spencer, Kevin Mialamu, Zinzan Brook, Rico Ioani, Ioani in capital letters, and Ali Williams. You know how everyone calls him Ali? It's Ali, because he's Alistair. So it's Ali. He told me that once. I never knew. Anyway, that's a good five. I had all of them on my list, except Rico again. <laughs> but I'll add him. I'll add him because he might get some more. Uh, uh, Crusader Mark suggests Mark Carter, but then he did put ha ha. Yes, good one. Um, 0800 150811. I'm really keen to hear, like we heard from Mikey and Zade, um, your memories of them special moments, and as to why you think that they are immortal Blues players. Uh, Blues supporters, want to hear from you, and almost just as much or more, I want to hear from non-Blues fans as well. 0800 150 we'll take a break, we'll come back shortly. Uh, back to the lines we go, sorry Cliff, I threw to an ad break just as you called, so thanks for holding on. No, it's all right. How are you this afternoon? Good, thank you. Cliff? Hey, that's good. Yeah, hey, the Blues, interesting team. They had a lot of All Blacks, but um, I didn't really want to pick too many of them, but it was hard not to. Uh, Ali Williams, Kev Mialamu, Dougie Howlett, Joe Rocococo, and probably Carlos Spencer. I think he was he was just an amazing player and he, for the Auckland, the Blues, and the All Blacks. Mm. Guys like Tui Tupo. You know, there was Moyena, but the early guys, Brock Jones and Fitzy, so they didn't play a lot of games for the Blues. They, by 97, 98, they'd gone. The first couple of years, the Blues Blues started off Super Rugby. I think they won the first two years, and they were, they were very hard to beat in the first probably four or five. Then the Crusaders came good. Uh, yeah, no, the Blues, to me, to me, give me Alamu. I think he stands as the the mountain man in the Blues team mm. for many, many years. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I tend to agree. He's just Blues through and through. Yeah, Zinzan played two years, uh, two seasons. Sean Fitzpatrick played two seasons. Michael Jones played four seasons, interestingly. Mm. Part- I would have thought it would be 
that. But yeah, but yeah, like me alone, they had a great backline. You know, when Spencer was there and Howlett and Joe Rocker Coco, they just Tui Tupo. Mm. They were they were they were a great side to watch. You know, their front row was always tough on us Highlanders. You know, the <laughs> Highlanders until and until we got Case Muse, Hoft, uh, Oliver, and uh, Joe McDonnell and a few big props. Then we started competing with with the big teams on in the in the forwards, and you know we always had good backs. But yeah, the Blues they were they were a good team, and they they always have been. But they had that rough patch where they they changed their coach. Oh, they give John Kerwin a go, then they gave uh, the young fellow that went overseas the the flanker Pat Lamb. a go, and Pat Lamb, and yeah, they just couldn't find the right guy, Tana Umanga. Yeah, it was a real run, wasn't it? Yeah, even Frank Oliver coached them for one season. Oh, good old Frank! Yeah, he was the Hurricanes' <laughs> first coach. Oliver's army—they called the uh, Hurricanes year one. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, it's it's a great old, it's a great history of of just reading back about the, you know, somebody should write a, a book about the Blues. Yeah, you know, or the Highlanders. You know, I don't know whether these guys actually write these books anymore because. I don't really see. I used to collect rugby almanacs and annuals and all the stuff. I haven't bought them for quite a few years, but you know, it'd be interesting if some uh, some Otago guy or, or who was some connection with Otago put something out, a book about the Highlanders from '96, yep. and then the Blues. You know, all the teams. It would be interesting read. Yeah, I I agree. I lo- I love the history. I used to get the DB Rugby Annual every year when I was a kid. Yeah, they're a, they're a bugger when you shift, and there's a hell of a lot of books to carry around, and they're not they're not light. No, <laughs> I'm with you, Cliff. <laughs> I'm with you. Hey, thanks for calling. Always love chatting to you. Yeah, bye. Good on you, Cliff. Uh, Craig and Tauranga. Oh, I'm, I'm liking the people outside Blues Territory. Oh, well, yeah, I'm. I grew up in Blues Territory, so Blues has always been my team. Always will be. Live in Tauranga, but but Auckland boy at heart. Um, nice. My, my favourite player, I don't think anyone's mentioned, which I'll get to in a little bit, but just going back to the early days, I think I think some people with the likes of, um, you know, Fitzy and, and Zinzana are kind of, con- well, not confusing the Blues, but thinking about the dominant Auckland rugby mm. team as opposed to the Blues. Because um, Jonah was in that team in, that, uh, in those early years, and, and he was awesome to watch. But you wouldn't put him down as a, as a Blues immortal. You know, I mean, um, what a player. But, He'll um, probably make the Hurricanes yeah. immortals, maybe not the Blues. Yeah, and yeah, but, you know, first couple of years of Super Rugby, he was there. Um, yeah, so the obvious, um, Mialamu, Williams, um, Carlos, of course, Dougie Howlett, uh, I think is still all-time Blues try-scoring. Uh, record holder. So, you know, all of those guys, absolutely. But my favourite player, I don't know that I've heard, uh, is Jerome. Um, Jerome Kaino was was absolutely blues through and through and uh, and, and an all-black enforcer. I loved watching Jerome play, especially in his young years before he'd made the all-blacks. Um, yeah, so Jerome would definitely be in mine. Yeah, I wrote down 10 names. I've since added to it through texts and phone calls. Uh, Jerome and one other are two names I've written down that didn't have a tick. So now Jerome has got a tick, but there's one player left on my top 10 still without a tick. And I, it's just the first first 10 names that just top, popped off my head. And he is a former Blues captain as well. So we'll see if yeah, he... So the, the, the... The one that I, I did think about, it was slightly controversial with a former Blues captain, was Xavier. Um, That's the I, one. I, yeah, yeah, Xavier Rush. I thought, um, 
Yeah, he, he must go close. He he must be, yeah, I don't know, nearly 100 appearances for them. Um, yeah, so Xavier was also one that I did, did think about. But Paddy, Paddy Tuipolotu, he obviously still going, so it's hard to put someone who's still playing into an Immortals team, but he's got to be close to 100 appearances as well. Um, so there's some good players. But yeah, Xavier, um, yeah, but definitely my favourite favorite blue uh, of all time, Jerome. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, Steph. <clears throat> Thanks, Craig. Cheers, mate. Cheers, buddy. Uh, just going through some of the, um, um, I won't tell. I'll, I'll read the texts that I've put tick next next to the names. <clears throat> Joelle, big clear of the throat with the mic off. Joelle surely for the fan favourite player. He even had a chance about him. Nineteen ninety seven was a great year for the Blues. That's from Kimberly. Joelle's got a few votes. Don't you worry about that. Uh, my top five in no particular order from Dale is, oh. <laughs> We're talking about the Blues, New South Wales. He's <laughs> given us top five New South Wales Blues. Joey, Freddie, Menzies, Daly and Lazarus. Look, take your point, take your point. Uh, growing up in Christchurch and w- watching him play used to make me angry. But you can't deny how good Carlos was. I vividly remember him scoring in the corner at Lancaster Park, and then flipping the bird, uh, flipping everyone off. Absolute, immortal blues legend, Carlos Spencer. Spencer. Goodness, he's not going to pass it, as he does to Rockathoko. Joe Rockathoko, up the middle. He's got Howlett with him. Oh, he didn't pass it, but he's found Collins in support. Spencer twists the knife in the in-goal area. Oh, Tony Johnson at his best and Carlos Spencer at his best as well. Uh, just had a text through uh, from JJ about the Pitch Invaders. Pitch Invaders are indicative of our Kiwi society at the moment. Uh, lawless and no respect. Heavy fines and stadium bans for all who did and attempted to do it. So disappointing as the Warriors is truly a show, and yet people spoil it for their own glory. Time to put teams of players out there as security and fundraise. People who can really tackle. I remember in Dunedin, they put a senior rugby team as security detail around the around the pitch so there's about 20 of them and they were all a senior club rugby team they all had their boots on a couple had the shoulder pads on <laughs> oh I wouldn't go anywhere near them alright we'll take uh, we've got Karen this week uh, Johnny Mack having a well deserved break uh, somewhere amongst a beautiful climate I think he's in is it Fiji or New Caledonia or Bali or something Johnny Mack sunning himself to the max so Karen brings you the new sport and weather. I'm going to count up and tally up the votes. I might give you a progress score after the news. Well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Yeah! Uh, Zay just asked me to read out the players that have played over 100 games. For the Blues, so just a little search for you, Zaid. Um, most caps of all Super Rugby all-times, White Crockett with 202. Um, so he, I'll try and get through, actually, 
just thought of what I can do. Uh, blues. Right, here we go. Kevin Milamu, of course, 175. Um, Manonu, 174. He had two, one, two, three seasons at the Blues, but um, not 100 for the Blues. So Kevin Milamu, who's next? John Arfoa. Um, Bowden Barrett's combined for 100, part of the Blues. Uh, Josh Beckwith, but most of them with the Highlanders. Jimmy Cowan, most of them with the Highlanders. Tamati Allison, most of them with the Canes. Bryn Hall, sort of three or four seasons, was he, with the Blues? And about five with the Crusaders. Uh, Jerome. Jerome Kaino. Uh, Albie Mathewson, most of them with the Canes. And the Force. Uh, James Parsons. Keeping going. Um, not Luke Romano, most of those Crusaders. Angus Tatavau, between the Blues, Waratahs and Chiefs. Offa tu Fasi, still going. He's had 120-odd big off. Um, Piri Wepu's another centurion. Ali Williams uh, played all of his rugby, except for one season. He went to the Crusaders, but uh, 100 for the Blues as well. So not lots of centurions that solely... Played for the Blues. Now, here's, here's a score update. Uh, I won't tell you the numbers, but I'll tell you who our top five at the moment is on votes. Uh, first and second are well in front. Carlos and Kevy. Carlos Spencer, Kevy Mialamu. Then third, Dougie Howlett. And then we've got a fourth equal of Zinzan. Joely Vendiri and Ali Williams. That's probably that's our top six so far. Admittedly, I've got about a dozen text votes that I haven't read, I haven't read yet and haven't marked. Um, Staffy, I would go for Michael Jones as I had my first try scorer when the TAB betting came out when we slaughtered Australia at Athletic Park, and I thought the TAB game was easy. I got 140 bucks, Brian. I was at that game too. wasn't working for the TAB then, but. I went full of the flu, hit flask of port, tried to drink my way to health. Uh, behind the dead ball line I was, and I was lucky that uh, one of my mates' sister had a flat on Adelaide Road, so we started there and then walked in the freezing cold weather, rain, it was a quagmire, and Justin Marshall and Jeff Wilson and Michael Jones and Zinzak put on a clinic. Now, Michael Jones, first try scorer. If you were at the, or you were at the game, remember the ground announcer? He announced Zinzan Brooks scored the try. And I had Michael Jones as well as first try scorer, and I threw my ticket away because the ground announcer said it was Zinzan. And it was never corrected at the ground. It wasn't until I get home and I watched the replay, and it was Michael Jones throwing my ticket away. Throwing my ticket away. I had 10 bucks on him as well at 14s. Uh, not glory days, can we say? Not glory days. Um, hey, Staffy, this is from Johnny. Zinzan Brook, he set the tone for the loose forward play in Super 12. Mielami speaks for itself and King Carlos, Jonah and Howlett. That's from a Chiefs man. I'll tick those ones off. Now we've got a Mielami Woodcock, Jerome, Carlos, Dougie slash Rico. That's from Lyndon. Um... Kevin Mialamu, Big Ali Williams, Xavier Rush, Dougie and Jonah. That's from John. 
Mike from Christchurch, Carlos, no question. Number one. Plus, Howlett, Jones, Jerome, and Mialamu over Fitzy in a 50-50 call just because of the number of games he played. All these ones I'm reading now are new ones, so I haven't put them into the votes yet. It's got to be Kaino, mate. 137 games for the Blues. Monster of a player. Absolute beast. Hey, staff, when you do the Chiefs. That's tomorrow. I'm not going to read them out. Let's have a look who you've got, though. Yes, yes, yes. Maybe. And someone that's currently playing. I definitely think your last one named, uh, he will be. But they don't usually give a mortal status, Hall of Fame status to current players. But he's definitely going to be going to be someone. Um, and Dale, okay, New South Wales Blues, Joey Johns fan, he's now replaced it with Auckland Blues Immortals. Carlos Rapini Falfalton Butha had been re- has been mentioned earlier, didn't have enough votes to make the top six. He might sneak in now. Uh, we're going to do the top five. Dougie Howlett, Mills Muliaina, and Kevi Mialamu. I think it's safe to say, don't stop voting though, because I'm pretty pretty sure it's safe to say that Kevi Mialamu and Carlos Spencer are going to be one and two. Um, hey, Staffy, my top five, Xavier Rush, Carlos Spencer, Doug Howlett, Kevi Mialamu, and Jerome. That's from Troy. They were five in my top ten as well. And from Richard, Jonah, Joely, Ali Williams, Tony Woodcock, Carlos, Mialamu, and Kaino. There's a real theme here. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tight for sort of the fourth and fifth inductees into the afternoons with Steffi Immortals Blues. I'll try and get one of them on. Actually, I will. I'll try and get one of them on. Maybe the day after they get voted. Should we try and do that? I'll try and do that. One of the five. That's five text messages, and then you sit there, cross your fingers, and hope you get a yes to one of them. Um, I will do my best. Keen to get your thoughts, though. Come on, Blues fans. Ring up. Is there someone we may have missed? Is there someone that we haven't thought of? I mean, There's been a bit of support for Sam Tuitupo on the text machine, actually. Nothing for Isaiah Toyava. Does he make the five, though? Um, there's been some wonderful players. Rapini, Rapini's got a few votes. Um, he's he, he's just outside the top ten so far, but he was a game changer. But is he immortal? Is he Hall of Fame material? I don't know. Keen to keep getting your texts. I've got another lot that I have to count up, but give, do give us a call. 0800 This is your... This is your hour to give us a yelp. Really keen to hear your voices. Uh, we'll take a break. I'll keep collating. We're getting close to cutoff. 0800-150-811. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Welcome back in. Back to the phones, our mate Graham. G'day, Graham. I'm good, thank you, Face. Who came that way? Yeah, don't you worry about that. Don't you worry uh, about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might do it later. That might be a good way. Um, pouring with rain here. Mate, I had a, I had a short stint in Auckland. Uh, and I managed the, um, the teachers, uh, Eastern, um, teachers' Eastern Senior Team. And... Um, that was when Auckland were loaded. You said, who have you forgotten? Um, Fitzpatrick? 
It's Grant Fox. Yeah. Kerwin. Andy Hayden. <laughs> Jerry Wright. Oh, Joey blues. Stanley. We're talking blues. Oh, okay. I'm talking Auckland N- NPC. No, <laughs> blues. Blues. No, but did the Iceman, Iceman have one of the first games for the blues, or no, he was out by then? Who's that? Michael Jones. Yeah, he had four seasons. Yeah, he's been mentioned. Yeah, Iceman, Toffee Pops, of course. Yes. Um, um, Fitzy was outside of that then, wasn't he? So Mia Lamu would get my vote. Um, and Zinzan Brook. Uh, because I had Fitzy slash Mia Lamu both in there because they're both iconic, iconic peoples. So, uh, so yeah, I mis- misread the... Uh, the um, the context there for the super teams. You but, need to, you need um, to start oh, paying attention. Uh, well, I, I, yeah, I then just jumped in the car and Petoni and driven to Wainui Motor, and I, I'm sort of like, I think I know what he's talking about. <laughs> but mate, just like um, I just reflect all the time. Um, God, about 1986, um, down in Wellington, um, the Auckland NPC team were down to play Wellington at Athletic Park. Yeah, and uh, we went out for a drink afterwards. Um, at the Opera Bar, remember the Opera Bar? I do. Um, and um, God, the Auckland team in there—it was just about an all-black uh, all lineup, mate. It was Fitzy, Hayden, Zinzan Brook, um, Grant Fox, Kerwin, um, and da, 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 who the, um, the brothers, um, Wetton's, Wetton brothers. It was loaded, mate. That team was absolutely loaded. That was the NPC team. Hmm. They were they were stunning. They were stunning and won the first two Super Rugby titles as well. And that was the end of Fitzy and Zinzan. They played the first two, won the first two, and parked it up. Yep. All right, great. You cool. stay dry, my friend. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Good on you, buddy. Righto. I think it's time for the big reveal, Sam. I've counted them all up. Here they come. Hall of Fame announcement I actually need one more vote to tie fifth we've got a tie for fifth we've got a tie for fifth you don't you don't blow the integrity of the competition like that Steph on reveal night imagine mm. the Oscars yeah, look, hey, we, we actually just need one more vote <laughs> on uh, best director best director did you forget Ted no we didn't forget Ted we didn't forget Graham Henry um, I'm just looking at the most recent ones I have no I've got the deciding vote one I hadn't read. Okay. Honourable mentions. That couldn't be with us tonight. That couldn't be with us tonight. With a number of high number of votes. Well, there's a swag of them. Actually, there's a swag of them. So, should I just name the five immortals? Do you want them in order? Start at number five. Coming in at fifth. Powerhouse. They've been looking for a replacement for quite some time. They haven't been able to find it because he set the bar so high. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Jerome Kano. Then coming in at number four, many felt he betrayed the Blues when he headed south. He lasted a year and realised where his heart was. How far south? Not far. Damn. No, no, way south. Crusaders. Oh, great. And then he returned to put on the blue and white, excelled for the Blues, a spiritual leader, Short legs, long back, Ellie Williams. Moving into number three now. There's no question that this man 
still looks the same age now as he was 15 years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Douglas Howlett. And then there's two. And then there was two. Just two votes between them. The ticks went off the page. Number two, an absolute nugget, an absolute pearl. Kevin, K-E-V-E-N, Mialamu. And number one, the shining light in the blue sky is the one and only Toffee Pop Kid, Carlos Spencer. I should have given you a drum roll, actually. I'll, I'll get that for next time. Yeah, well, you could. You, you could have done Sorry about much that. better than that. So the ones that just missed out, Zinzan, Michael Jones, Xavier Rush, Tony Woodcock, uh, Joely Vendieri got... Um, excitable support John Lomu just missed out by one and then there's players like Rapini Mills Adrian Cashmore Inga Charlie Reichelman Rico Ioani Joe Rocks Sean Fitzpatrick Mark Talia Sam Tuitupa there was a whole swag Steve, Steve Devine got a couple of votes late thanks for texting in Stevie <laughs> so that is our immortals for the Blues I did enjoy that I did enjoy that. So there's the five. I'll do what I can to get one of them on the show to kick us off tomorrow. And I might even get them to get their best ever Chiefs. I'll try and pre-plan it, pre-warn them. Chiefs, it's your day tomorrow. We'll take our last break before the news right now. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Sammy. Mark Stafford. Mm. Um, now, on Friday, uh, I was obviously wasn't here. I was down in Napier, and uh, I gave you, quite literally, the reins um, for our harness racing tip. Mm. Um, do you remember what it was? Timaru? What's oh, it's a heart attack. Uh, it was Timaru Race 5, number 10. I can't remember the name of it. I think heart attack might have been spot on. Um, I'm going to play this out for you. Okay. It's still Jimmy Ray in front. Art Attack giving its chance. Up the inside, Angela Montana. Jimmy Ray brave. Angela Montana on the inside with Art Attack and Champagne and Come Wine. On. Jimmy Ray won't go away. Art Attack Come is on. lifting Come with again. Champagne and Wine. Art Attack, Come I again. think, is just one of those. Maybe defends yes. the title. Beat Champagne and Wine. Yes. And That's right. 300 smackaroos. 300 smackaroos for uh, for our charity, staff, And we are, we are gaining. We're gaining on the field, as it were. That's a Big chunk. Yeah. See, give it to me. Yeah. So, no, look, lesson learned, absolutely. I, Five dollars it was it. paying or something like that? I think, I mean, I'm quickly losing a lot of responsibility on this show, actually. You are, actually. Show me the money. I've, I've retired from that multiple times. <laughs> Pacing for purpose, I'm no longer wanted. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, look, do you, do, you wanna, do you want to start putting what's making news together? <laughs> no longer needed. I uh, sure. just want to address some of the uh, text messages that came in. Um, someone said, where is it? Um what about Fitzy and Olo Brown? Look, Fitzy got votes, but not enough to make the top five. Olo Brown got none. Uh, what about Jonah, mate? Yeah, Jonah got votes, but, but not, also, but not and, enough. And you also can't just be a good player who played for the Blues. We're talking about Hall of Fame Blues careers. Mm. You know what I mean? And immortals. Yeah. So it's like you, you can't be playing now. Like I think in the fullness of time, 
Um, players like Rico might well be immortal in years to come once well, he gets they, the handle of playing centre. And they might play three, they might win three titles in a row, and then you'd say it's the best Blues team of all time, and those players would certainly be in there. Potentially. I love a bit good potentially. Um, we'll, take a, we'll take a break. We're going to do a bit of a spotlight on the Warriors after this because um, Sammy was down in amongst it all down at Hawks Bay. Or is it Hawk Bay? Oh, we'll investigate. So if you just joined us, uh, the SENZ Afternoon listeners have voted for their Blues Immortals, and I quite like the list. They weren't actually my top five, but hey, the people have spoken. Um, and the five Immortals are in no particular order, because I can't remember the order they came in, actually. I did write it somewhere. Anyway, uh, Carlos Spencer, Kevin Mialamu, Doug Howlett, Jerome Kano, and Ali Williams. They are the Blues Five Immortals, which is fantastic. Um, you can argue that there'll be some more, but you know, we'll have another draft next week. We'll add another, uh, next month, next year, and we'll have another five, and we'll just build. Chiefs tomorrow, get your thinking hats on for your immortal Chiefs, and we'll kick that off tomorrow afternoon as well, just after 12. And I'll try and get one of these immortals to come and have a chat to us as well from the Blues. That, if I can get them, we'll start it with, with a chat with them. I'll get there, you know, two, three, four, five Chiefs from them as well. What a weekend it was for SENZ. Um, we had live broadcasts from Alexandra Park on Friday, and before that, a special running it straight was three to five on a Friday with Sam and Kempe at Three Wise Birds. Uh, fantastic location if you're ever in Hawke's Bay. Get down to Three Wise Birds. Great owners, just good characters as well. They were joined by uh, the likes of Arwen Gutenbill, Kevin Campion, a whole raft of former Warriors coaches. It was a fantastic event. Then they did a big pre-game show from under the Harris stand. They had to move because the Warriors, um, what was it, the, the drummers were set up right next to them. So they had to quickly vacate and ad break and shoot up to the commentary box. And then the game. What a game. Let's have a listen back to the highlights from the Warriors vs Broncos in a history-making match in Napier. He finds Nickel Klukstar, he steps out of the tackle, he's got a man on the outside, he's going to score as he went in, he's a Lesniak! This time the Warriors look confident, but have the Broncos' defence come up strong again? Down the leg of the Broncos player. And then the ball is knocked on in goal by Dallin Wittes and Celestia. back to the middle. Here's Johnson. Johnson going crossfield once more. Metcalf, it's a bad pass. Goes to ground. Montoya loses it as well. And now the Broncos have a chance. Strutting away down the sideline on this near-hand touch. It's Dane Mariner who's picked up the scraps. He goes the best part of 60 metres. And the man who's only played three NRL games picks up his first NRL try. And the Broncos are on the board first here in Napier. And I don't think... They'll need to go back and check this one, Kempe. So here's Reynolds. He's taking the ball back a few extra metres now. So he's about 25 metres out, and he's on the angle, five metres in from the near-hand touch. It's a beautifully shaped kick that goes straight down the middle. Here's Johnson. A kick to the air. With Tennis Lesniak out on the right-hand edge. He leaps in the air. He gets it. I tell you what, if he's got this down... No, he isn't. 
Can he get this down before the foot touches the ground? No. Donson then has Curran running an outside line. Here's Nicol Klukstar. Rocco Berry. Down on Wittini Zalesniak this time. There is no doubt about it. Wittini Zalesniak scores in the right-hand corner. It is like clockwork for the Warriors. Pass it right to DWZ. And you find yourself a four-pointer in the right-hand corner. He's been not uh, denied twice this evening already, Kempe. Finally, he's over, and it is six points to four with a kick to come. Johnson steps through, puts boot to ball. It's on its way, and it's through. Johnson has it. Here goes Walters. They do go back short side. It's a forward pass to Jordan Ricky. I tell you what, that was about two metres forward, Kempe. Slots that over. 12-6. That's 12-6 as the halftime hooter sounds. Referee Sutton blows the whistle. Here's Reynolds who breaks through half a hole. Adam Reynolds, he's got men on the inside and a couple on the outside as well. Reynolds with a pass to Ezra Mam. And he's going to go on in underneath the sticks. And just like that, perhaps against the run of play, the Broncos have got try number three. They do lead 16 points to six on the South Seas Healthcare scoreboard with a kick to come. Not a hard kick for Adam Reynolds, Tony Kemp. But it is 10 metres out from the goalpost and it's right in front. The sort of ones that you made your name off, aren't they? <laughs> well, they're the ones you don't want to miss. So, well, you don't want to go underneath the posts. What, that, that's, a, that's beers for the whole team for the weekend, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to be 20 points to six. Yeah. Here's Metcalf through the hands to Harris. Harris finds Johnson. Johnson aboard in the corner. And another pass back to Johnson. That's an over the top with Jenny Zalesniak. You're kidding. You've got to be kidding. I don't want to steal the phrase of Ray Warren, but they're playing basketball down there, Kempe. <laughs> Sean Johnson. Reynolds again, out the right-hand side. Here's Tristan Saylor, puts a kick through early, and running through on the right-hand wing was Dean Mariner. And he's got try number two, the bedpost try scorer. It is going to be 24 points to 10, kick to come. They had a bit of a brouhaha between uh, Rocco Berry, Wittini Zalesniak, and a couple of Broncos defenders. It's actually going to open a hole for, for Nickel Klukstar. I tell you what, Kempe. Poor form from the Broncos, who decided that they were going to take exception to Wittini Zalesniak and Rocco Berry. What it meant was a giant gaping hole for Chance Nickel Klukstar. He goes through, and the Warriors do have a response to the Broncos try. It's 26 points to 14 with a kick to come. Johnson in the middle goes to Fenua Blake. Fenua Blake has Metcalf space on the left-hand edge. Here's Pompey. Pompey tries to get out. Gets it off, thrown away. Montoya! He's in! The ball is down! And the Warriors have brought it back again. It's going to be 26 points to 20 with a kick to come. We are in for some finish here at McLean Park Kempe. Metcalf out the wide to Pompey. Pompey gets away from one. Montoya, he's going for the corner. Montoya, he did it! He did it! I can't believe it! I cannot believe it, Kempe! There's nothing going on here. No, no, Pompey's not even in the line. No, the Broncos are milking that. They are absolutely milking it. He's saying that he's saying that Pompey's pulled back the player he's beat. You're kidding if you give this. Oh, oh. And, the, and it's come up as a no try. But Denny's Zalesniak, he's going to kick it back in field. They're all there. It comes backwards, but it's picked up by the Broncos. And that'll be it. That'll be it. Oh. Oh, I'm having to live it all again, Sammy. I just want to say something about that one try that was disallowed by the Pompey jersey pool. And he was going, he wouldn't have got him, he wouldn't have got him. 
take the decision away from the referee by not touching the player. Oh, look, no, no doubt about it that, that there was a stupid mistake from Adam Pompey. And the right decision was, was made in terms of the letter of the law. The thing that probably frustrates a lot of people is nine times out of ten in any other game, that probably wouldn't be called, you know. And given how the NRL likes drama and likes to create the theatre, they'd let that go given the context of the game. Um, so it was annoying. And, and another thing that I've been talking to people about that, um, you know, with um, Dean Mariner, who was the, the player who, you know, sort of put his arms up in the air as Pompey pulled his jersey, I'm half inclined to say because you've pulled out of the play by throwing your arms up in the air and turning around, you've that, you've made a decision to pull yourself out of the play. Had he tried to make a tackle whilst being pulled back and continued to try and make the play, you can understand. But he made a choice to stop playing and put his arms up in the air. And I wonder if there's something around that that maybe could be explored. But like you said, at the end of the day, stupid error from, from Adam Pompey. Didn't even we didn't even get the chance to see if Montoya would have scored it without it or not, um, but a disappointing finish because had had the Warriors scored that and Johnson had a kick to win from the sideline, which also would have been great theatre. It would have just kept a, a phenomenal weekend in Napier streakers aside, and we can talk about that later. Um, it would have kept a really phenomenal week uh, weekend in in Napier and a great result for the Warriors against a team that everyone thought we probably should have beaten quite comfortably. Well, I was sitting there watching, and even though the Broncos were in front, I thought with twenty minutes to go, they got so many guys with no first grade experience, and they always. Talk about the difference between New South Wales Cup and NRL and the speed of the game and the fitness needed. I thought these guys are going to fall away. Mm-hmm. But what happened with 20 to go? Josh Reynolds. Adam Reynolds. Uh, Adam Reynolds, sorry. Yeah. Adam yeah. Reynolds steps in and says, right, my time. Yeah, well, he was a masterclass. And, um, Wasn't he, though? Yeah, he oh. is. And he's, he's he's a great player to watch as well. You see how much vision he has. A few of his kicks sort of, and Kempi made the point that when the stadium is so far away from the edge of the pitch, you sort of you lose your sense of distance control and so maybe that played into it but um, yeah, you're right that they did come home strong and and um, you do you'd look at the stats and and um, a good mate Fonzie on Twitter um, posted a couple of photos um, we won every stat category yeah. we had more meters we had more tackle breaks tackle busts we had a faster play the ball we had less errors we had more um, we had better better tackle rate like less missed tackles etc and it just didn't we just didn't quite convert that well, into points we, we until right the, the try end. line so many times didn't we? Yeah. Uh, like, well, there were three. There were three or four disallowed Warriors tries in the first half. A couple of the Broncos ones as well. I said to Kempe, "What's the record for the most disallowed in a half?" Because mm. it was about five or six of them. Yeah. So we created more try scoring opportunities, and just that hand under the point of the ball. The yeah. ball was exactly the right spot. Young yeah. Sailor. Yeah. I mean, wasn't lucky. It was skill, but there we go. Yeah. And also, you know, you can also relive the Dallin, the first disallowed try of his, where normally Dallin would run for the corner and do that big leap in the air to pop the ball down. Randomly, he decided to cut yeah, back in field, him. and he cut. And by doing that, he allowed the Broncos to cover across, and and Ezra Mam gets his leg underneath it. So, having said that, for me, Dallin Warriors best on show. He was fantastic. He was fantastic um, on the weekend. The and ultimate were, warrior. A lot of them really were staff. I mean, there was a couple of a couple of errors that you look back on. Let's not underestimate as well. You lose chance for fifteen minutes for an HIA, which was probably a bad call to have to send him off anyway. Uh, obviously, lost Freddie Lussick. So, you know, the Warriors continue to sort of battle and fight their way through, despite a lot of stuff going against them. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're just disappointed, very disappointed. And, and arguably, despite all the, winning all those stats, it probably was one of their worst performances of the year so far. They mm. certainly should have won the game. Still proud of them, though. Still, yeah, no, still enjoy them. watching them. Big, I'll big be lining back, up. Big what have they got this week? The Dolphins at Mount Smart on Saturday. Okay, we'll yep. be live there as we well. We will be live from Mount Smart. Uh, Craig texted and asked, out of interest, my top five of Blues all times. Well, the first... 
the first five names I wrote down in my list of ten were Zinzan, Michael Jones, Kevy, Jerome, Carlos, Tony Woodcock, Doug Howlett, Joe Rokothoko, and Sean Fitzpatrick. Um, but my my five were four of the same as you guys: Kevy, Jerome, Carlos, Dougie Howlett. Uh, the only one I was different was I had Michael Jones is in my top five and he was probably sixth or seventh. Right, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we're going to catch up with four more. I love talking to this guy. Such a good analyst and reader of the game. Uh, Steve Gordon. We'll have a look at the weekend Super Rugby, particularly the Chiefs, and I really want to ask him about a certain... What's that? Oh, it's NBA next. Oh, it's NBA next. Oh, this will be good. Boston Celtics reporter and writer. This guy's hilarious. This guy's good value. Uh, Jusway Pavon. He is joining us out of Boston live. Super Rugby's next hour, but NBA next. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. We're going to be talking some NBA now, and we are joined by Josue Pavon. He is the Boston Celtics reporter, writer for CLNS Media, and he's also co-host of the Cedric Maxwell podcast. We're going to talk about the Celtics game six yesterday. It's been back and forth, but this series has been back, 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 fourth, fourth, fourth. We're three all. Welcome back. Welcome in uh, to New Zealand Radio. Gosh, how did you enjoy game six? What a roller coaster, man. Oh, man. Like, looking into this final stretch for the Celtics, I mean, obviously, right after they won game four, I'm like, if they're going to win this thing, they have to get back to Miami, obviously, right? But they're going to have to really fight in this one. I, I saw this being essentially Miami's biggest punch, and I might be wrong. I mean, we still have another game here. We could still, you know, Celtics could, uh, could, could see a, a better version of the Miami Heat in game seven for sure, but... The way this thing went down in the fourth quarter was unbelievable, man. I mean, the Celtics, you know, sprinkle a little luck in there, sprinkle a little grit and poise and some huge plays down the stretch, and, and all of a sudden we have a Game 7 here in Boston. It was incredible, man. These guys really stuck with it towards the end. The amazing thing about Boston, they've had five wins this season alone when facing an elimination, twice against the 76ers, now three times in a row against Miami. What is it about this team that just just keep getting up off the canvas? It's something about when they're backs against the wall, you get the best version of them. But for some reason, they tend to let it get that far, if you know what I mean, right? It's like, you know, a, a lot was made about them not being able to close out that Philadelphia series as quickly as they they should have. And then going into the Miami Heat series, you know, you look at just the, the, the way the narrative was surrounding the Miami Heat. Now, very little – it was few people who, who ever – gave them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to win this series. And I think the Heat took that, you know, in stride. And they took pride in that, obviously. And I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously they got the best uh, – we got the best version of the Miami Heat in the sense of that they just had so many weapons. It wasn't guys just uh, – guys named Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo. You know, Khalid Martin has been tremendous in this series. Vincent uh, – Gabe Vincent has been tremendous in this series. So I, I think that was the advantage. And I just feel like the Celtics – I don't want to say they overlooked things, they overlook the Miami Heat, but I just feel like they tend to go into these bad habits when they're going through it, right? Mm. And, and whether that's, you know, rushing their offense, trying to get back into a game after they slipped, you know, to a double-digit deficit. And it was just like this uh, this terrible pattern that I feel like they caught themselves in. But here they come again, right? I mean, when their back's <laughs> against the wall and people least expect it, you know, they really uh, – they have these moments where they, they have to, you know, look at themselves in the mirror and, and you know – 
and just hash it out. And I feel like that's what that's what happened. I I think at the game three, you know, uh, Al Horford, uh, you know, Cheryl. Well, first, it was Jalen Brown who shared that these guys had an outing beforehand, and you know, it wasn't about basketball. It was just about them just enjoying each other's company. You know, there's a lot of, of talk after game three reports from anonymous sources saying that these guys pretend to like each other and that they're not as good, they're not as close as they seem. Look, I've been around this team all season long and I, I never got that impression. Was there a clear disconnect? Absolutely. And that disconnect, in my opinion, was about basketball. I, I don't think this thing was, was something beyond personalities or the fact that these guys dislike each other. I always looked at it as um, people maybe half of the the team feel one way about the way they're executing. Maybe they feel the other half feels another, you know, uh, guys taking shots early into the shot clock. I feel like there was some games where you know, they, they, they relied on Jason Tatum to sort of, you know, put the team on his back. And that's just not what something basketball is about. At the end of the day, when this team's at its best, they're, uh, they're, they're very tough on the defensive side and that creates incredible opportunities for the offense. And that's a, that, that's not just guys named Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, right? Clearly guys like Derek white stepping up, you know, uh, guys hitting big shots, you know, Grant Williams coming off the bench, you know, that's a Celtic team that's very difficult to beat when they're this, when they're at that level of focus, especially what you saw in game five, where every possession counts and they're treating it as if it's, you know, the very end of the fourth quarter. And, and I think that's when things started to turn around when they were able to, you know, not only beat the Miami Heat, but the way they beat them in game five with the blowout and blowout fashion. And then in game mm. six, all the dramatics at the end, man, it's, it's been incredible to watch these guys, you know, how this whole thing has unfolded. Yeah, interestingly, game seven records, uh, the Heat are six wins, five losses, but the Celtics, it's almost like they're born to do it. They're 27 wins, nine losses in game sevens. And they've won their last four um, game sevens when in this spot. So um, I know I know they won't park it up and just and just rely on it. And, and the other stat I wanted to mention, you'll probably be very aware of it, Celtics have been... I guess observed or is it criticised? Whatever they, they live and die traditionally mm-hmm. on the threes, but that they had a playoff low of seven threes from thirty-five attempts in Game Six. So the rest of their game, with your observation, must have scrubbed up. Yeah, I mean, down the stretch, whether it was um, a huge block from Al Horford, you know, on Bam Adebayo, or you know, the three-pointer from Derek White hit one. You know, before the 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 big putback, I, I just feel like the Celtics did their best to, to to stay in it, right? I mean, they they saw that lead disappear as quick as quickly as it did. You know, Duncan Robinson got hot from from three, and, and again, that, this this is a testament to this team when when they come up with defensive stops and when they're fighting and, and putting forth the type of effort, the game-winning plays that these type of things happen. You know, I yeah, three-point. The three-point shot is a big part of their offense. That's a big part of their identity, who they are on that end of the floor. But I never saw them as a team that lives or die by the three. I saw them as a team that has a lot of guys that can make that shot. Mm. And when the when the defense is, is is putting together two, three consecutive, four consecutive stops, those open shots are available. And then through the net, through the the you know the, organically. That's when their offense really takes off, in my opinion, right? When when it's like that. I never saw them as a team where they're, you know, rushing up the floor, dribble, 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 three, three, three. You know what I mean? I never saw them as one of those teams, honestly. Mm. It's a big part of their offense. But at the end of the day, when this team is defending and when they're when they're uh, when they're running and, and making their opposition, you know, have to buckle down and in uh, transition defense, I think that's when they're at their best. Yeah, good fighters and scrappers. And like Boston's obviously a, a sports mad town. 2004, the Boston Red Sox came from 0-3 down to beat the Yankees. 
So what is it about the Boston's never say die attitude? Are, are you like the, I don't know, what, what's the relationship with the sports fans and the teams that we just never stop swinging? The, the Red Sox did in 04, I think that's the first time a baseball team's come from 0-3 down and they beat the might of the Yankees. Is like, are all the sports fans, you rally around whatever team's in a bind and get behind them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Boston is just that city where um, the, the, the support's at an all-time high compared to any other sports city, if you ask me. Um, and, it, and it extends beyond baseball and, the, and you know, Red Sox and, and football with the Patriots. And with the Celtics right now, it's interesting because obviously, you know, they're the ones that's still in it. You know, the, the, the Boston Bruins had historically the greatest regular season you know, ever, and then they were bounced out of the first round. So, I mean, a lot of the attention is, you know, transitioned over to the Celtics. But you look at guys like Tatum and Brown, I mean, they're really, they're embraced in the city. You know, Jason mm. Tatum, you can make an argument that he might be the most embraced uh, athlete right now since Tom Brady, you know. Uh, I mean, that's it, – it's really been that uh, – um, you know, the, the last three or four years, he's he's risen to that plat that, that plat, plateau, right, Going to the NBA Finals, becoming arguably, you know, one of the top 10 NBA players. And, you know, he just turned 25. So it's just one of those things where guys are just – the city's embraced it. The city's embraced the Celtics team, the way they were able to bridge the gap from, you know, the big three era to those teams that Brad Stevens led that didn't quite get to the NBA Finals but were relatively competitive, right, outside of those first two years. And then all of a sudden, you know, what happened last year, to see this team go to the NBA Finals, it's just – this is that year. You know, everyone's kind of saying, like, look, these guys have been to these conference finals a handful of times. They got to the NBA finals. You know, clearly they were outmatched, out, uh, you know, experienced. None of these guys had been there before. And, you know, someone like Steph Curry had the best NBA finals of his career. So, you know, you fast forward to, uh, you know, one year later, and I just think a lot of the fans in this city are, are going to ride behind these guys no matter what because they, they, they believe in them. You know, they've seen them grow from being 19-year-old rookies to who they are now. Uh, guys like Tatum, guys like, uh, you know, Jalen Brown, even Marcus Smart has spent his entire career here. You know, he's, he's the longest tenure Celtic. is his eighth season. So I think all that intertwined is, is just the, the, the city supports this team, and, and they know that, you know. And it's, it's unlike any other city, you know, even Al Horford, someone who uh, they saw go play for another team in Philadelphia 76ers to come right back and for everything to come together the way it has. I just think the city of Boston is just thinking, man, it's either now or, you know, who knows after this with Jalen Brown's contract, you know, nearing it's towards the end. He's got one more year left and people aren't quite sure, you know, how this team is going to operate after that. And when you look at this roster, you know, it's going to be really difficult to, to, to put, to surround these two with top tier talent, the way they're surrounded with now. So I, I think all that, goes into why people support this team and why a lot of these guys, a lot of these uh, Celtics fans never really stopped believing, you know, even when the Celtics went down, you know, 3-0 against the Miami Heat. Last thing, um, just on health of players, uh, NBA six-man award of the year, Malcolm Brogdon set out game six and you squeaked home. Any uh, reports on his likelihood to play in about 23 hours' time? Well, the Celtics listed him as questionable, so um, it's still up in the air. But if you ask me, I, I, I predict he plays. I just think uh, for someone like Brogdon, this is his uh, first opportunity to get to the NBA Finals. He's been the sixth man of this team you know, this year. He's had a rough series. Um, the, the injury has really bothered him. It's really plagued his shot. He's tried to go inside the paint a lot of the time. But the Miami Heat, they do a really good job of uh, protecting the paint. So he's sort of... Uh, He's had a tough time finding his offensive rhythm, but with everything, with, with the way this series has played out and Game 7, win or go home, 
against the Miami Heat, I'd be really surprised if we don't see him. I just hope he's able to make an impact um, off the bench because when he's on, when he's when he's you know got the three point shot falling and he's you know taking it to the rack, and it, it's hard for some time for some defense to keep up with him when he really gets going. It can be a really uh, it could be a, a huge advantage for the Celtics in Game Seven uh, against guys like you know uh, Marion and and Gabe Vincent and you know, the the um, second unit, the Miami Heat second unit, where they're, they're really going to try to scrap together their, their best punch here. Did you take a third, third mortgage out to buy a courtside ticket for Game 7? What's that? Did, did you have to get a big loan to get a courtside ticket for Game 7? Oh, man, I'm a media member, man. Luckily, I don't have to, uh, don't have to buy any tickets. But... Yeah, that's what we like to hear. <laughs> for, for, for fans out here, man, I, I, whether you get a ticket or not, man, I just, I just hope... Um, I just hope they're able to see the Celtics finish this thing off because um, it's it's incredible. It, it really is for obvious reasons. The number one being it's never happened before, you know, an NBA team to come back from 3-0 and, and, and win it. But also, I, I just think this team is, is has earned it. You know, they've had a, they've got a lot of they've received a lot of criticism for being in that position, being 0-3, and um, it's been repetitive throughout. Whether it was the way they've finish things against the Philadelphia 76ers when they didn't get the one seed, when they slipped a little bit after the all-star break, it's just been like this back and forth where, you know, Celtics fans, they haven't lost faith, but they've just been, uh, it's been one of those things where they have to hear the outside noise, right. From the, from the national media, because everyone's watching now, right. It's the Eastern conference finals. So I just think it'd be a really cool story for these guys to pull this thing off. And I, I just think when you look at the personnel of these guys and their story and, you know, the fact that like majority of this team, it was was here last year. I, I just think again, it would be a really good story, and, and I think these guys have have earned it. You know, they've uh, they've they've really been through it, and they, they continue to uh, remain poised. And and um, man, that I think Game Six, the end of that, is the best example of that. You know, awesome, man. Well, I'm looking forward to looking down courtside and seeing you know Bird, Parish, Mikhail, Pavon all sitting courtside for Game Seven, mate. Um, Thanks, Eats, for joining. When, <laughs> when you get through to the NBA uh, finals, we'll talk again. Hey, if it happens, that sounds good to me, man. You give me a call. I'd love to hop on. Cheers, mate. There is uh, Josue Pavon joining us out of Boston. Let's go to Karen with the news. Paulie Moati time from the TAB. Download the app, get on their website. There's specials aplenty and they're flush with cash after the Warriors were denied in the weekend. So look forward to some good specials this week, Paulie. That, that's, that's a given, eh? <laughs> anyone, would, anyone would think we've got a, a direct line through to the NRL bunker. And, oh, have you? And, Breaking no. news. <laughs> 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 that seems to be the perception out there. Uh, well, anyway, when it comes to the Warriors games, because boy, oh boy, do they get a few calls go against them. Um, but he didn't need to grab the jersey, to be fair. Yeah, oh, doesn't grab the jersey, we're not talking. Doesn't grab the jersey, we're Correct. not talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. That's all right. Well, um, we've just uh, actually had a Juno, uh, Josue Pavon, out directly live out of Boston, and he said the city is buoyed, the city are expectant. Um, gosh, after losing the first three, um, including at Boston, what's happened to their price for Game 7? Oh, they are very, very warm favourites, and it, the early money was on them. 
to win Game Seven. They're a dollar thirty-two at the moment. The Celtics. The Heat are now three twenty-five. I think the Heat were at around three sixty at one stage, but the money that's come for them in the last few hours have just forced the bookies' hands a wee bit, and they've they've um, brought them in slightly. So the Heat are now into three twenty-five. The Celtics are a dollar thirty-two, and at this stage. We've taken, uh, taken slightly more money on the Heat than we have on the Celtics, whereas the early money was on the home team to win Game 7. And boy, oh boy, can the Heat mentally get up for Game 7 after that heartbreaking loss in Game 6 in Miami. Um, I always like on a Monday to have a look at uh, early markets for Super Rugby and early fiscal traffic from your loyal customers about which particular yes. game have they identified as some value? Drua. Well, they've... Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. They are the best-backed outsider, the best-backed underdog. Uh, $2.15 uh, up against the Reds at $1.70. But the best-backed team overall, and this is, this is going to be... The, well, the money suggests... This is going to be one-way traffic all night long on Friday night. The Blues are going to absolutely smoke the Highlanders. That's what the money's telling us at the moment. Punters can't get enough of the Blues. They're currently $1.16. The Highlanders $5. The draws at 26 And we just take it. We continue to take money on the Blues at $1.16. So, yep, the best-backed underdog, the Fijian Drua, at $2.15 to beat the Reds. Um, but the best-backed team... For the next round of Super Rugby, the Blues at a dollar sixteen. Fancy the draw a little bit, given that the Reds have lost two players, season ending. Tate McDermott had a concussion in the week, and he's fifty-fifty whether he plays. And it's in Fiji, and they're coming off the back of a win. That, that for me is the one that sticks out like the proverbial, shall we say? And French Open <laughs> is underway. Day one was this morning, last night. Um, yes. Yep. Quick look at the overalls. Let's have a look. Well, on the men's side, it, the bookies think it's fairly, um, not clear cut, but they've got a Spaniard on top, surprise, surprise. Carlos Alcaraz at $2.40. Um, Novak Djokovic, he's not too far behind, though, at $2.87. Daniil Medvedev at eight fifty, And Holger Rune, who the shark thinks is a wee bit of a, 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 an outsider's chance at $9.00. Doesn't mind him at all. On the women's side, though, um, there's a wee bit more definite, uh, definition uh, in terms of who the bookies think will win. We've got an odds-on favourite, Swartek at a dollar seventy-three. Uh, Anya Sabalenka is on the second line of betting at four fifty. Elena Rybakina at six. Um, Ostapenko at nineteen dollars. She's got her supporters. Mm. She has seen a wee bit of money come her way, and I guess. You, if you're going to take the favourite at $1.73, you're probably going to throw in a multi of some sort. So if you're looking for a wee bit more value, then the two best backs, a wee bit further down the page, uh, Yelena Ostapenko at $19. And oh, what's that name there? Oh, crikey. Give I'll it a go. Up here. Go on, give it a go. <laughs> give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> Kuda Matova, <laughs> Veronica Kuda Matova, Kuda Matata. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apologies if I've butchered that one. 
Oh, no, oh. That, that's fantastic. Hey, listen, I just realised when we talk to you tomorrow, are we talking to you tomorrow or Pops? Um. I think it's Pops tomorrow. Oh, okay. I was going to say, it's going to be about yeah. half-time in Game 7 of the NBA, and I'll be very interested to see what the price is at half-time with Miami leading by two going into the last half of Game 7. But anyway, always good chatting to you, Paulie. Thanks, buddy. Very good, Steph. Catch you again later. See you, mate. TRB.co.nz. Do it responsibly. Be 18 years old. Download the app. You know the rules. You know the rules. All in good fun. Uh, we'll have a very quick break. We'll come back after that. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Ryu Buchanan gets it immediately to a midcourt buddy in Gina Crampton. Not out of the centre third yet. And there's a little beautiful little interplay there between Crampton and Maya Wilson, Silver Fern teammates. Results... In the first goal to the Stars. Crammed into Malasala. This time from over two metres and she gets it. Oh, Amarangi Malasala comes up with the goods at the right time. 20 seconds. 10 seconds. Sunas looking for Wormsley. Finds Wormsley. Five seconds to go. One, two, three pumps miss. One pump gets it. Learn the lesson. 14-12. 14-12 to the Pulse. Fantastic first quarter, tightly fought. No one's really got away on anyone too much. It's an arm wrestle. It's an arm wrestle. Both teams have got big biceps, though. That's why they're in the elimination final. Maya Wilson, around the corner, bounce pass, finds the co-captain, and she makes it count. And they edge one ahead, 18-17. 26-25 under a minute, the pulse. What's their tactic? Do they take their time? Hell no! Hell no, says Maddie Gordon. Not when Amelia Wormsley's unmarked and I can thread the needle like a surgeon in Las Vegas. I'll take that. 27-25 to the Pulse. Stars back in possession. 30 seconds. Gordon again. Oh, Oh, stop it. Ian Gordon. Ian Gordon. Are you kidding? From nowhere. She's run five metres. She's left five metres. She's passed five metres. And in the flash of an eye... They've got a three-goal lead. They've got centre pass possession. They've got Whitney Sooners fighting Maturo. And we've got Ali Timu denying a simple pass in. Ten seconds. Ten seconds to go. Inbound from the baseline. Five seconds to go. Wormsley's going to have to shoot from range. What do you got? I've got the goal! I've got the goal! Don't you worry about it! Amelia Wormsley sledgehammers. Sledgehammers, the end of first half. Nipple, me oh my, 29-25. And there comes Holly Fowler. Thank you very much. <laughs> Stay on your attacking end. And she comes for a sniff and just takes the ball. Here's the stars. This is a game we needed. Mullisulla now. Jury stands down to end of the third quarter. And she Makes sinks it. Counted. That's a four-goal advantage. Oh. 16 gold stars. Eight goals pulse that quarter. Pulse now with a rainbow pass oh. into Wormsley. Oh, high risk, high return for the Pulse. 49-51, trailing by two. 15 seconds. It's in the hands of Wilson. 
Crampton is looking. What is the silver food skipping? And she can't find anyone and she gives it to Matudo. Five seconds. Four seconds. There's a contact adjacent to the goal. The hooter goes. It's a shot for Malasala to make it to the final. And the umpire says, go. Malasala says, I go. I got there. G'day, Hamilton. See you next week. See you next week. And the Stars are into their third grand final. They've done it away from home. They've done it with ticker. And they've done it by coming from behind by form. And immediately after the match, we caught up with defender Ali Timu with that massive second-half defensive effort. Yeah, I think um, we really knew that uh, Team is a more of a ball player down there and Meals was doing bulk of the shooting. So we really wanted to um, cut off Meals to attack forward and I think that um, really worked for us. It sure did, mate. It sure did. Now, your lineup was the same except for your defensive partner last week. Did you go into this game knowing that all seven were going to stay on the court the whole time or is that a flexible move from the coach? No, well, that's the beauty of our team. We have um, a solid 10 and anyone can really come on. And we honestly don't know who's going to start until game day. So it's really awesome for us in training to keep that competition. And then we've got strong connections and Lela can come on really strong. Jamie's an awesome shooter. And yeah, we're just, and Putty's just got her elevation and she's eager to get out there. So we've got um, three really good people there and... Um, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Kalera and Holly Fowler, how much adjustment do you have to make to your personal game with depending on which partner you're playing with? Yeah, um, it's more so the Goldie running bit. <laughs> That's um, what I have to get used to. But no, Lila is very um, solid in the back. She's, she's a great ball getter. And I guess me and Holly are a bit more um, movie and move, sorry, movement fluid. And we just, uh, our switches are quite um, natural. But me and Lila switched too, but it's just a bit different with two talls in comparison to a tall and then a really short, nippy Goldie, yeah. And I just want to ask, how's Amor feeling after that final shot? <laughs> oh, I looked at her and I said, I love you, Amor. <laughs> she's amazing. Then um, she's got like, I don't know, is it ice in her veins? You know, just like turns and shoots. Like Kelly is a, a tall human being with long limbs, so Amor to shoot over that. And, um, yeah, those two in the end just really, we just needed to score up our own centre passes in that last, like, three minutes. And, yeah, it was awesome. We're joined by Ellie Tembu, victorious with the Stars. Ellie, were you surprised? We were a bit surprised when the Polks had that last possession with 40 seconds to go. They were trailing by one, uh, knowing the Stars had the next centre pass that they just didn't play it round, which they shot, they got the goal, tied it up. And then I feel like you guys showed them how to manage the clock at the end of a game. Yeah, um, that has been a huge thing for us, especially with all these tight um, extra time matches. Uh, we train that. We train the 30 seconds to go, play it around. And um, we have shooters that are confident to go to the post and um, we're confident in them. So as soon as we play it down into them and they're in shooting position, we know that it's pretty much going in. So I think G and Me's um, really controlled that in the past. And yeah, it was great game management, honestly. Yeah, um, that was Ali Timmy. We also caught up with Maddie Gordon and Michaela Sokolich-Beatson, who is wing defence and sometimes captain for the Mystics. And, of course, 
The grand final of the ANZ Premiership will be on Sunday, 3.30 is when we start our broadcast. I think Centre Pass at 4. Do join us here live on SENZ for the live commentary of that Sunday. And don't forget we've got live commentary of the Warriors as well on Saturday afternoon against the newcomers, the Giant Killers. That's the Dolphins. We'll come back in a moment. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Had a, had a few texts and um, also you heard in Karen's news, Latrell Mitchell out, Stephen Crichton in, Sammy is the voice of league on SENZ. I'm going to controversially say I think they get better. Interesting. Well, you do have a genuine centre now playing in the centres as opposed to Latrell, who is playing fullback for the Rabbitohs. But Latrell did play the cent- uh, in the centres for the Roosters. If you listen on Friday Mine Kem- uh, to my Kempia Mines' 17 best informed players, we actually had Stephen Crichton and Campbell Graham. So uh, not totally out of the realms uh, to say that it is going to get better with Crichton in their staff. But, I mean, Latrell is lazy. an origin. Wow, he's made for origin, though. But he's lazy. Why? I watch him. He just pops around, oh, use me when you need me. I'm not getting involved in all the day-to-day stuff. I see stuff. where you're going, but defensively he's pretty solid and does create a bit. I, I see where you're going, but mm. he's almost like a silent assassin. Oh. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. So there's the, there's the news for Origin fans. Uh, news, sport and weather. And then we're going to be joined by Steve Gordon, former All Black, casting his eye over the weekend's rugby. Getting you through your workday one hour at a time. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Welcome back in, team. Good to have you company. Going to be talking to rugby very, very shortly. Just had a text in which I'd like to be able to answer, but I can't. It just says, is there any reason why the TAB can't put out their Hastings fixed prices earlier? Uh, the feed's been out for a while. Um, I don't know. Um, this isn't the reason. I know it was. it's a rescheduled program, isn't it? And again, from memory, I haven't been there for three years. They wait for the scratchings, do they? Maybe, maybe the scratchings shut off is about now. I don't know, sorry. Um, but it might have something to do with the delayed program abandoned last week. Racing again, it's tomorrow, isn't it, at Hastings, about an eight-race program. Um, so sorry, couldn't help you out a bit more there, champ. Uh, we're going to talk some rugby now. And uh, joining us at former Allback, always like catching up with him. Uh, been too long, Steve Gordon, welcome in. 
G'day, Steffi. How are you going? Oh, very and, well. And, we, and what a weekend of footy. Oh, mate, I should have been talking to you more with your high-flying chiefs. Aren't they great? <laughs> That's Steve Gordon. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. <laughs> uh, Jacobson. I, I was going to save it, but I want to hit it straight up. Jeez, he's well. He's not coming good, but he's he's a shining light at the moment. He is. Um, he's playing really well and shining in a, in a pretty good forward pack. And um, you know, sometimes you just see guys that do their role. You know, they're really effective. But he's just uh, taking that extra step up. And you just see the, the stats that he's producing, you know, for his tackle count, his carries, um, you know, uh, kick receipts when he's getting back on the fence. He is really going above and beyond in a good team. And to stand out in a good team like he is, is, yeah, is, a, is a credit to himself that he's showing that uh, he's ready and wants to take that next step up. Anyone wants me to ask a question of Steve Gordon uh, on behalf of yourselves? You've got a few minutes, double eight, double three, text them through and uh, we'll get them to him. Uh, amongst the Chiefs, like defensively, like they've always been a sparkling attacking side, but it looks like there's been a shift, well, not a shift, but an enhancement in the team. And we talked to Jeremy Paul last Friday and he said he just loves the defence and the no quit attitude of the Chiefs. Is that something you've noticed this season as well? Yeah, and I think they, they have a really good system. Um, their defensive system, it's, it's really hard to defend for long periods of time. You know, we're in that five-meter zone with, with his team, you know, bashing away, trying to get across the chalk, you know, from a, from a short distance. They've got really good systems, and they trust each other to keep pushing up and taking that space because you see some of those, those big boys that are defending against it, that are launching, you know, from three, four meters out. That is, you've got to have a good system and good understanding because it's a collective approach to hold some of those big guys out. And uh, the Chiefs, I don't know how they train it. They've been down there training for a long time. But um, to have the confidence and the um, um, ability to perform some of those tackles in, in those close quarters is, is, is quite breathtaking. And as you can say, not many people get excited about it, but their defensive system and the way they go about implementing it is quite outstanding. Uh, text in from Josh saying, Damien McKenzie, 10 or 15. <laughs> Um, I think Damon is one of those players where if he says, I want to play, you just go, okay, where do you want to play? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he is phenomenal. Um, he likes 10 because uh, he, he likes to have lots of touches on the ball, but you, you, know, you see his creativity at, at fullback when, he, when he's bringing the ball back. You, know, you see some teams when they, they kick it deep and you can almost see the dread in their faces when it's in Damo's hands and he, he can st- he starts wandering across you know the face of the defence just probing but he's so skillful and so quick that he can he can drift across in front of a defensive system just testing and looking for that little uh, kink and then has the ability to exploit it straight away whether he takes a gap himself or just commits players and, and unloads and creates the opportunity for someone else so yeah I, I love watching him direct that 10 but I also love watching uh the opportunities he creates at 15 as well. I want to talk to you about a few of the big guys in the Chiefs as well. I mean, Brodie Retallick, we had Ross Filippo on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he thinks Brodie Retallick's the best rugby player in New Zealand and a big lot of daylight to second. And he's just, now that he's in as part of the coaching team with the Chiefs and just sees what he puts in between Saturday to Saturday and just during the week, and he said he just blows him away how he stays hungry. He's been at the top for a long, long time. Such an important cog for the Chiefs. 
bar a massive call to the Chiefs. And, um, he's sort of just that ultimate hard-nosed uh, old elder statesman in a Ford pack that just goes about his, his work week in and week out. And, and you can't underestimate the influence that has on a squad when you see you know, a guy that is, is, has been recognised as the world's best rugby player and watch him and rub shoulders with him week in, week out, how he goes about his business and keeps himself at that level. And that, 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 just, that, that is transmitted through the squad. And a, a guy like that, they're just uh, you know, invaluable. And his work rate, too, is, is phenomenal. And just that hard edge uh, when push comes to shove and you need your big fellas to step forward and, and, and start doing their hard work, start making those um, hard metres w- with carries, and that stopping defence. You know, we, we just touched on it earlier, that stopping defence, it, it just takes momentum away from um, good attacking sides. You know, they say it's a race race for a, for a metre. You know, in, in those collisions, but if you're continually winning those those contests, that metre, and not allowing um, teams to get momentum, it does create fr- frustration and doubt. And and Brody, you've seen that time and time again, where he just ragdolls other forwards, other big other big mm. men, and, and forces them back. G- gives you impetus on defence. You know, it stops the uh, the ball carrying team, the attacking team, start you know stops their the ability to win those collisions and get momentum forward. And that's a, a huge huge part of any defensive system. You, you make a tackle, but if you start making dominant tackles and, and forcing teams back, they start losing um, ground on on a, on offence. Is massive and for, it- for a defensive team. Yeah, it's fantastic for the likes of uh, Tupo Vai, uh, just scrumming alongside Brody Retallick. But but the other guy, Samapeni Finau, I'm so impressed with this guy. He's green, he's raw, he's young. I see a big future for this guy. Well, he, he may be green, raw, and young to you, but he's been playing for Waikato for a few years now. Mm. And uh, we, we, we've... we've oh. Other old crusty old rugby mates out here have just been really impressed with the with the growth of them. You know, watching from afar, watching from the commentary box, seeing how he came in as a, a, a pretty raw boned, uh, enthusiastic young fellow four or five years ago, and then his growth and and his confidence and his ability to read the game and, and turn up in the right places and really exert himself when he needs to. Like so, so a couple of times here when. We've seen the Chiefs on the go for it, and you've seen uh, some of Penny um, carrying the ball three times out of um, you know six motions, where he just wants to wants to keep the the momentum going, keep himself involved, and, and genuinely get excited about the game. I think it's been a, a, a really big t- turning point in um, his game and his development over the last couple of years, is that he he knows when to turn it on. And then probably just the con- consistency when he can turn it on that, that he makes metres or, or he puts in big stopping tackles. Another big man, Peter Gus Sawakula. Um, I'm going to chuck a theory at you. If he'd never played for the All Blacks and been dropped from the All Blacks, do you think he'd be a chance to be a debutant for the All Blacks this year? I can't see them going back on it, <laughs> but man, he's in good form. Yeah, what if, what if, what if, what if? You know, um, um, absolutely. Uh, he's a big man. He's great, great ball skills. Um, oh, it was just really unfortunate when he, when he debuted in a couple of games. He, he put a couple down cold. Um, he played for All Blacks, but we've seen him, you know 
in pressure cooker situation, he stands up and uh, he, he loves carrying the ball. Loves carrying the ball in contact and has that that beautiful balance and agility to manoeuvre in the tackle to, to, to find ways to, to get that forward momentum. And um, yeah, he's a pretty big uh, uh, hitter as well when it comes to defence. He likes to stop guys in their tracks. So I, I think he he has to be in the conversation because uh, you, you just want a, a number six slash eight who uh, has those hard no those attributes, that, that knows how to go forward, wants to go forward, and loves being confrontational. And, and um, yeah, Peter Gus, um, yeah, he, he fits all those criteria. Did you see enough from the Brumbies? Um, they, they've dropped to fourth after that loss at home, but they're only one point behind the Blues. Um, did you see enough yep. from them to suggest they could maybe even win a semi-final against one of the New Zealand sides? Yep, yep. Never, never count them out. They're, you know, they're probably the stodgiest of the Australian teams. But um, oh, I, I really admire the Brumbies. Um, some, sometimes you think they're a little bit undergunned, and but they uh, have shown this year that they can find a way through, and, and that's probably what the Chiefs have, have been showing as well. That you, know, you look on paper sometimes you think they're a little bit undergunned, but they find a way to win, and. Um, I think with the, the resources available to them, they've been um, doing that really well. Um, um, Steve Larkin there, you know, he's obviously you know, he's a bit of a genius as well, and but he, he's simplifying the game plan and, and developing it around the personnel that he's got available, and which is one of his great strengths as well. So uh, they'll be there or thereabouts, and um, don't count them out. They'll. they'll Depends on how the, the quarters play out and, and who they get in the semi. Um, they're definitely a chance of winning a semi. Yeah, I think if things pan out <clears throat> according to stats, more than likely Brumbies Hurricanes uh, could be the quarterfinal matchup, which would be Hurricanes going to Canberra and trying to tip them over. Which would that's pretty interesting too. You'd have a chance, wouldn't you? Mm. You, you know, uh, at home, bit of a crowd there. Um, well, seeing you know, it's quite unique um, conditions in Canberra. It can get bitterly cold uh, there. So no, you, you definitely wouldn't count them out. And oh, the Canes—you you never know what you're going to get. You know, and I think that's why we we love them so much. You know, some days they can just—you know—they can beat anybody. They can beat international sides, and other days they can be off their game. And you know, if it doesn't go their way, they can get distracted. But. Yeah, you'd give them a chance against the Canes. The Canes should win, but um, it depends what, what, what Canes team turns up out there. And finally, Steve Gordon, uh, this week, uh, every day we're doing a different franchise and we're just getting our listeners to vote on their immortals from each franchise, if there was such a thing. A complete rip-off, I admit, from what the Crusaders did last week, but I liked the concept. <laughs> so today we did the Blues. Now, I've given you no warning, no preparation, yep. So we've named it the five that got the top votes. I'm going to give you three cracks and see if you can nail them all. Of the top five? Top five immortals. So not current players. They have to be immortals of the Blues franchise of all time. Um, Zinni would be in there. Zinni was sixth. But there you go. He's sixth on votes because um, he only played two years. Uh, Carlos that would be in there. Carlos was number one. Yep. Um, who else would you would say be in there? Um, 
Would, would Fitzy, Fitzy would be in there, would he? He'd be in the conversation. He was certainly in the conversation also, just 25 caps, two seasons. And so Fitzy and Zinzan both won the first two Super Rugby comps and then they finished. Um, even Michael Jones just missed out and he played four years. So most of them... Well, he was my next I think he most... Was, he, was my ne- he was my next pick and I got one, only got one left. Yeah, they <laughs> all, play, one pick. <laughs> all played in the 2000s. Um, Kevin Mialamu was second. Dougie Howlett have to be in there. Dougie Howlett was third. Yes, now we're on a roll. Dougie Howlett's third. Then we've um, got a number six and a number and a lock. Number six oh, and a lock. Jerome, Jerome, Jerome yep. And Ali Williams. There you go. See, we got that was pretty damn good, actually. That was pretty damn good. Tomorrow we're doing the Chiefs. Now, don't want to influence our listeners. Give me, give me two must-haves in the Chiefs Immortals when we open it up tomorrow. Um, you'd have to have uh, Brody Retallick mm. in, the, in the conversation there. And the other one would, would be Beaver. Um, Steve Donald uh, would be in there. Yeah. Oh, they, 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 those two in my book would be buying for one and two. There you go. Steve Gordon, always enjoy our chats, mate. We'll stay in touch. Thanks, Daffy. It's a pleasure, always. Cheers, mate. There he is, former All Black, Steve Gordon. Brody Retallick and Stephen Donald were his two. And I'm actually thinking, I'm saying you can't really be currently playing, but man, it's going to be hard to hold Brody Retallick out. I'm even sort of trying to think, I'm going to have to rack my brain to go back in the day. Uh, Brendan Leonard? <laughs> was he from Morrinsville? He was, eh? He was a Morrinsville lad, old Brendan Leonard, with the shaved head. See, Liam Messam for me. Yeah, Messam would 100% be there. Oh, we shouldn't yeah. talk, we've got to talk about it tomorrow. All I don't, right, don't right, want to start. Right, right, right. Is that all right? Is that all right, Sam? That's all right. That's all right. All right, we'll have a break. We'll find out what's making news around the world shortly. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? I'll say something that's going to make you really happy, Steph. Go on. This time, normally, we'd be just over halfway. Halfway what? Through the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're, we're off here in about 35 minutes. Oh, How about that? What are we going to do between three and four? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Sit in traffic. Dodge the traffic. Yeah, nice. Um, whilst people uh, might think that, uh, you know, this makes it easier for us staff, it's definitely our intention to make this three hours the best jam-packed yeah. three hours we can do. So uh, we're excited because it's going to give us the opportunity to really... Um, Condensed. Nail, nail the three hours. But we have lost Captain K as well. We so have. There's yeah. you and me. Yeah, it's just and me. And tomorrow's you. me and smiling Joe Bell. Is it Joe, Joey Bezos tomorrow? Joey Bezos. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm gonna need to take the day to get my larynx back in order. Aren't you um, fixing your deck? Well, that. Well, that too, actually. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, helping the old man. Hopefully, it's not raining. Actually, he's up there now, putting some boards down. Chief, big shout out to you. Good on you, he's Chief. Probably listening. Is your mum's name Trish? No. No, Who that's Trish my that that's, the show? that's my uncle's partner. Okay. Yeah, I recognised as soon as I heard the voice, and I thought, <laughs> Uncle Dave, go and get your um, breakfast in bed tomorrow morning. And he says, I've been up since two a.m. Classic Uncle Dave. Now, someone <laughs> actually, I think it was my mum who pointed out that um, Kempy and my Uncle Dave look very similar, and they do. Ah. It's just uh, my Uncle Dave doesn't rock the uh, the chin strap, the uh, the faux. I've always been interested, like. Um Kempi and Nathan Rarity both rock chin straps. They do, yeah. And when they go grey, they keep them. Yeah. And so you actually can't see them anymore because... Subtle. They're not there, unless Very you're subtle. close up. 
That's very anyway. subtle. Uh, 0800 chin strap. You, uh, <laughs> 0800 go chin strap. Um, uh, you watched much golf over the weekend? No. Um, well, obviously the Charles Schwab was on. Uh, mm. Foxy, when did he finish in the end? Tied 21st? Tied 21st. Man, just those top 30s keep rolling in for Foxy. Um, who won it? The Argentinian guy? Emiliano Grillo. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you saw what he did. No. Oh, did he hit it into the canal? Hit it into the canal. Yeah. And, it wa- and the canal was running towards him. Yeah. So he just walked. Uh, he went to his ball and it was still rolling down the canal. Yeah. 130 metres. Wow. Backwards. And, th- and, then he, and then it edged up next to a rock in the canal. So he hit it. Wow. Did, mm. he, did he hit okay? Double bogey. And that was the last hole? Second last. Um, isn't there something about like doing really badly if you're out in the lead on the last two holes or something? It's like a bit of a tradition. Um, well, elsewhere uh, was the KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship in Dallas. Right. I'm not sure if Stevie Elka was playing on that and where he finished up, but they uh, had a shot at $3.5 million. And uh, Patrick Harrington unfortunately snapped a 51-hole bogey-free streak, which is quite a streak, Steph. Uh, and it happened on the 16th. I'm pretty sure it was the final round on the 16th. And uh, guess what? Guess why? He what, lost, what he puts it down to. Um, oh, is it like a golf rule? No, no, no. It's no, a no. state of mind. State of mind in a way. What did it stop at? 51? Yeah. He'd made the half century and waved to the crowd? No. He, uh, this is in his words. When you get over 50, it takes a, a long time to have a pee. And he ne- really needed to go. So just before the 16th, he ran off to the toilet. When he got to the toilet, the door was locked. It took him a minute to realise there wasn't somebody in there. Another minute to get the door open. And then, uh, as he, he said, as, as we are on the Champions Tour, I had the longest pee ever. And so uh, by the time he rushed out to the fairway, you know, he, he's rattled. He's, he's been off the course. He's rattled. He's not in his, his, mood, his mood. And he goes and hits a double bogey, or a bogey, and he claims that it's the, uh, the longest pee ever is what snapped his streak. Patrick Harrington. <laughs> There you go. As reported in an Irish newspaper as well, which you got to love. Um, now, an official in India, a government official, has been suspended, Steph. Mm-hmm. Is it surprising you, or did you have the story last week? No, haven't okay. had the story. Um, government official I'll in paint, India. I'll paint the, the uh, picture for you. Food inspector Rajesh, Rajesh Vijwa mm. dropped his Samsung smartphone in Kirkata Dam in the central Indian state of Chittisgarh last week. Chittisgarh? No, no. Shittisgar. Shittisgar. Last week, the Times of India newspaper reported um, he was trying to take a selfie and he dropped it into the dam, right? <laughs> he asked local divers to jump into the reservoir to find the device, claiming it contained sensitive government data. I'm sure it was, it was that, that, that you were trying Here to get rid of. Uh, after the initial efforts to retrieve a smartphone failed, he asked for the rivers, reservoir to be completely drained using diesel pumps. So over the next three days, more than two million litres of water were pumped out of the reservoir which is enough to irrigate at least 1,500 acres of land during India's scorching summer. What was in the phone? Just to get his smartphone back, and of course he did get it back, but it wouldn't turn on. What was in the Cause phone? Because it was waterlogged. What uh, was so he's in been the suspended, phone? After, obviously after being wildly criticised. We will ask what is on the phone, but imagine, imagine making your staff drain 2 million litres of water because you dropped your smartphone because you couldn't take a selfie properly. Outrageous. Get a selfie stick. Um, and finally, extraordinary scenes uh, in the German football leagues as Hamburg fans ran out onto the pitch after their side beat Sandhausen 1-0, promoting them to the Bundesliga. 
how good. They all ran out on the field, stalling the pitch, having a great time. Flares go off and everything. The celebrations are underway because Heinenheim, who were just two points behind Hamburg in the table, was still playing against Regensburg. They were 2-1 down deep in a stoppage time. They thought, here we go, boys. Storm the pitch. We're in. What no. happens? Bang, bang. Stoppage time equaliser in the 93rd minute. Winner in the 99th minute. <gasps> Hamburg doesn't go up. I think they still get to play off to go up, but the storming of the pitch in celebration was premature. They mm. all look silly, the fans. And it's funny too because you actually see in the video staff the fans finding out about the other one, and they all just go from like this to hands on the head. No, Jared. No, Jared. <laughs> do not do this to the NRL, Jared. And that's exactly what happened to Hamburg. Don't take away this moment. Um, fact of the day. Please. I spoke about acres there with the with the water. I said fifteen hundred acres of land. That's a lot of land. Did you know that an astounding one hundred acres of pizza? Americans love their pizza. Boy, do they! A hundred acres of pizza are reportedly consumed daily in the United States. That is four hundred and four thousand square meters, three hundred and fifty slices per second <laughs> in America. Three fifty slices it's per second. It's open a pizza shop. Apparently, the average American eats forty pizzas a year, forty full pizzas a year. If I said to you. You and me, we're off to America. I've got the funding to open a pizza shop anywhere in America. Where do you choose? Well, I don't go to New York. Too competitive. Mm-hmm. No, um, no, no. It's guaranteed to success. Basically, I'm saying you can live anywhere you want in America with a guaranteed oh, fledgling business. Yeah, Boston. Boston. Oh, actually, maybe up in the New England region, like Vermont or New Hampshire. It's quite nice up there. What's the name of that little place where all the rich people go? Up the Hamptons. Is it the Hamptons? Yes, yeah, the Hamptons, yeah. yeah. I think that's in New Hampshire. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a big old morning uh, for motorsport around the world. Two of the big three, the Indianapolis Grand Prix, but I want to start with the Monaco Grand Prix and the voice of motorsport in New Zealand. Very privileged to have him on the show. Bob McMurray joins us. G'day, Bob. Yeah, g'day, Mark. How are you? Very well. Um, I sort of read the newspaper this, well, online website, saw Max Verstappen won another Formula One, same old, same old, uh, led from start to finish Monaco. Um, anything yeah. surprising to you in that? Well, surprisingly, he finished. Is the first thing um, <laughs> you've got to uh, you make. Monaco is one of those races where you um, you've got to sort of watch it all the way through, and it can be tedious. I've, I've got to say, it can be a very tedious watch sometimes because nothing happens. They all start off in order and they all finish in order, and it looks to the outside that this was the same. But about um, twenty-five laps, thirty laps from the end, the rain came, and quite a lot of rain. And nobody knew which tyres to be on. And they were sliding and hitting the wall. Max Verstappen must have hit the fence um, half a dozen times at least. And others hit the fence a lot more than that. And um, we're all over the road, frankly. It was it was a complete chaotic uh, episode towards the, the end of the race. So, yes, he did win. And, yes, Fernando Alonso was staggeringly again. He's been on the podium every time this year, every race this year. He was second. And Esteban Ocon was a little bit of a surprise. French driver for Alpine in third position. So, yeah, that sounds like it, yeah, it was kind of tedious, but it wasn't. It was a good race. Lewis Hamilton fourth, George Russell fifth, um, with penalties being given out all over the place, front wings being knocked off. We had yellow flags. We had all sorts of stuff going on. But if you want to watch the race, you can kind of fast forward. It's basically to, uh, to, I suppose, 30 laps from the end. The most exciting part of the Monaco Grand Prix, as it always is, was 
the qualifying, which was absolutely staggering, possibly the best qualifying session that I have seen in uh, 25 years. So yeah, that was that was good. But Monaco was done. Special. Mm. Okay, uh, Indy 500. Joseph Newgarten. It was the 11th or 12th effort to win the Indy 500. And when Scott Dixon or Scotty McLaughlin or Marcus Armstrong doesn't make the podium, the big thing that stuck out to me was that tyre that left the track and careered uh, crowd. It was bound for the crowd and it missed them. That was a horrific sight. That, that was, and that was the first thing that caught my eye on that uh, that particular shunt, which was a, a pretty you know spectacular shunt in itself, with uh, Paul Carl Kirkwood upside down and sliding along the track with the with the sparks coming up from the car, and the camera still watching him upside down with all the sparks going on. That was a pretty spectacular sight. But the um, but thankfully, and I don't know how it happened. Uh, in fact, I don't know how the tire came off in the first place, or well, the wheel came off in the first place, because there are very, very strong tethers that um, tie those things to the cars to stop exactly that happening. But when you think they probably crashed at around 200 miles an hour, um, and that thing bounced up in the end, uh, up in the air, and it went between grandstands, it mm. just went the, probably one of the very few places it could have gone on that part of the track without hurting anybody and luckily it just bounced into a car park made a hell of a mess on some white car's front left wing but um but luckily that little white car saved the day for for pretty much everybody down there there were very few people in that car park but nonetheless very worrying heck of a race again uh, normally the indy 500 is um i suppose 300 miles of just watching go around 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 which it was, but the last couple of hundred, that's when it really gets exciting. The last 50 laps of the Indy 500 is when the race really clicks in. And uh, we have three red flags. Um, Scott Dixon, unfortunately, his race was compromised at the very beginning of the race because he had a shocking, absolutely shocking vibration going through the car from the tyres. So he had to come in and make a very early pit stop, which put him a lap behind, effectively. So for him to finish sixth was a very good deal. Uh, Joseph Newgarten, as you say, won the um, won the race, leapt out of his car, went straight into the crowd. I've never <laughs> seen that before. Through the fence, into the crowd, wonderful scenes. Um, but he won it from Marcus Ericsson, who's um, Chip Ganassi team driver and uh, Scott Dixon's teammate, who was very critical of the fact that they, um, they restarted that race at the end. I've got to say I agree with him. It was a bit dangerous. But nonetheless, Joseph Newgarten... Captain America, as they call him, he won. Beautifully encapsulated for us, Bob McMurray. I really appreciate your time. We've got to scoot to an ad break, but as always, always good to hear motorsport from the voice of you. Cheers, Mark. Thank you, Mark. There he is, Bob McMurray. We'll be back with Jimmy Smith after this. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Are we in Australia? We are in Australia. Uh, (laughs) Jimmy. Yeah, we're in Australia. There you go, mate. We're in Australia. We're in Australia. How are you, Staffy? Oh, I'm good. I actually think... um, It feels like I haven't spoken to you for a long time. I know, it's usually the Samad show, but, um, you know, we'll we'll go back to type. We'll revert back to how how it's been 99% of the time, just you and me, Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah, and I know, and that's disappointing for you too, isn't it? Because I know you much prefer to speak to uh, Sir Madge. 
Sue Medge. you describe him. Yes. Uh, as opposed to just me, which I understand, to be fair. Um, we've seen the commentator announcements for the State of Origin, Jimmy. <laughs> yes. You've got the neutral one. Uh, why is that? Yes, I'll... Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm unbiased in my commentary. Um, I'm able to retain a balance between, you know, what I see and what I feel, um, what I think should happen and what I think could happen. So... I think that's probably why. Um, and I don't think Joel could go to Adelaide, so that was the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like it. What, what did you make of the Warriors uh, hosting the now, Broncos? Just, just on that, just on that, Staffy. Hang, hang on. Yeah, so Staffy, um, Joel couldn't go to Adelaide, but Sammy could go to Napier. Mm. Uh, why don't we get a, a listen for the listeners in case they might have missed it? I actually heard it across the SEN uh, <laughs> Z uh, airwaves when I tuned into the app when I was in the car, and um, this this really did catch the year. Take a listen to that last oh, minute when there was the try, and then there wasn't. He's going for the corner. A few moments later. No, 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 Jared. No, Jared. <laughs> oh no! Do not this. Do not rob the NRL of this moment. Is held out of being able to make a tackle. You're kidding if you give this. Oh, and, it, and it's come up as a no try. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so here's the thing, Staffy, that Sammy must remember. Right, it wasn't Jared. It wasn't the NRL robbing the Warriors of that moment. It was, in fact, Adam Pompey, who played a beautiful last six or seven minutes and then grabbed the jersey of Dean Mariner, and that is what caused the try to be disallowed. We we agree. Actually, we do agree. Like none of this would have been a discussion. But we've had a few texts saying, "I've had a guts full of the what ifs. We were beaten. He shouldn't have grabbed the ju- he shouldn't have grabbed the jersey. If that jersey grab isn't there, I think." Any partially sighted person could see it was going to be a try. Um, kick to win, maybe it misses extra time. That little, what was it, index and thumb, slight pull on the jersey. Um, professionalism, I thought, from the Broncos player as well. Rookie threw his hands up in the air and uh, milked it a tad. He knew he couldn't catch him, threw the hands up. <laughs> but, but we agree, the Warriors guy shouldn't have grabbed the jersey. It's their own fault. Uh, it's just, it's so frustrating. Imagine being Andrew Webster, the coach, and Mm. just going, why? Why do you feel the need to do that? That's the last, like, how do you think they're going to miss it? Like, of all the cameras that are placed at that place, how how are they going to miss it? Very, very frustrating, I can imagine. Now, the other thing, mate, we've had some big news here from an origin point of view. First of all, how big's origin over there for you guys, given the fact it finishes at midnight? The other part of it, too, Latrell Mitchell out. So I think there's a lot of people suggesting that's a massive uh, bonus for Queensland. 
Look, in New Zealand, we have four late nights a year. They're the three origin games and the King's Coronation. So you're right up there, right. Jimmy. You are right up there. Origin, you, <laughs> I know you'd never be here in New Zealand for origin, but it is. It is massive. Like I would, can I potentially say, aside from a Warriors Grand Final and an All Blacks Test, Origin would be next, and we don't play in it. It's and it builds year on year. It is massive over here. So, the news of Latrell Mitchell going down, I suggested to Sammy, I think his side will get better now because I somewhat um, controversially think he's a fantastic player, but he could be twice as good if he wanted to be. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that he's not outstanding now. Like, if you think he's still an underappreciated or underdeveloped talent, doesn't mean he's not great now. It's a loss. There's no doubt it's a loss um, for New South Wales. Can I ask you this then, if, if that's the size of origin, Staffy? If there was to be a time change, say, let's say kickoff became 7.30 and not 8, 8.10 or 8.20, it'll probably be by the time they actually kick off, fit a few more 30-second ads in there. Thanks very much, Channel 9. But <laughs> if it became a 7.30, do you think it's ridiculous that New Zealand could host a State of Origin game at 9.30? We'd do it. We'd sell out our biggest stadium in the country, Eden Park. They'd get 55,000 in there. They would come from far and wide, and they would queue, they would party. Rugby league is massive in New Zealand, massive. And if we got something marquee, like that, absolutely. I mean, I, I like you going to Adelaide. I remember years ago, was it in the Super League War, you took a game to America. Give us one. Give us one. Broncos thanked us on the back of their jersey. Andrew Abdo said he thanked us, but we haven't seen anything. Same with Philandis. Thank us by giving us an origin game in the next couple of years. It would froth and it would go off here. Okay, so what would you prefer, an origin game or a grand final that didn't feature the Warriors? Origin game. Easy. Wow. Yeah, wow. Mm. Okay. So that's not beyond the realms of possibility, I would have thought. I would have thought, especially if they revert to... So they've gone to Wednesday, 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 um, which I'm not in favour of because of the impact it has on the international game. But if they went Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday... And then Sunday, you said, well, let's do it in New Zealand on a Sunday. Um, maybe you could kickstart it a little bit earlier here in Australia from a kickoff point of view. Um, that's interesting. All right. All right. Well, uh, we'll keep that in the kit bag. You better give us your winner, Staffy, for Wednesday night. Queensland. Queensland neutral zone. Uh, New South Wales, if it was in Sydney. Queensland, if it was home, i give the neutral zone. I think Queensland by four. That's what I think. Okay, thanks very much. Uh, yeah, there's Staffy over there in New Zealand. <laughs> we got a big delay today. Turn that anyway, down, Sammy. I, I don't know. <laughs> turn that down, Sammy. Yeah, big delay. Big yeah. delay. We'll go to an ad break. Yeah. We'll go to an ad break. We'll come back. All right, there you go. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Here's what happened back in the day. May 29, 1953. Edmund Hillary and Sherpa Tensing summited Everest. First time ever. Huge day in New Zealand history. 2010, Philadelphia Phillies 
ace pitcher Roy Halliday through tw- uh, through the twentieth perfect game in Major League Baseball history. The one-two pitch. Hit toward third. Castro has it. Spins. Fires. A perfect game. Roy Halladay has thrown the second perfect game in Philadelphia Phillies history. He faces 27 batters. He retires all 27. Including 11 strikeouts. That was one of two that season. Uh, birthdays today, Jean Vandervelt. Who can forget his meltdown at the British Open? But hell of a good bloke. Good documentary out there about him. Go and have a look. Uh, he's 57 and 49 today. One of the best. Deciding to settle things down inside the Blues 22. Roth up. Now he kicks into the end goal. Howlett getting back there. Oh, <laughs> And he's made a big fist of being a coach as well. Camillo Anthony's birthday, 39, and Isaac Luke, 36. On this day in 89, the number one movie was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and this was the number one song. It's Michael Damien and Rock On. Uh, big thanks to Sammy Hewitt. He's running solo with me now, 12 to 3, which means 3 to 6 is their own home. Kirsten Beef, they're going to take you through to 6. See you tomorrow.